Welcome to the Advice and Insights Podcast with David L. Bonson. Hello and welcome to this special edition of the Advice and Insights Podcast. We are coming to you on a Monday and that is because there is indeed a timely event that really does warrant some uh, commentary and and that's what this Advice and Insights Podcast is for. That special event, of course, being the escalation of the U.S.-China trade war. I'm going to quickly give you a little bit of background of what's transpired over the last uh, eight days and then where we are feeling the impact here this morning and what uh, we are anticipating going into tomorrow and the rest of the week and next week and even beyond. And then, of course, just from a more practical and investment application standpoint, we're going to share some comments there as well. So let's start from the top. Things started last Sunday when President Trump was tweeting, well, it looks like, uh, you know, China's pulling back on some of the commitments that we thought they were making, and we're going to have to go to a 25% tariff from the current 10% level on $200 billion of of imports if we can't work this out. And in the meantime, they had had talks scheduled on Thursday, and so a lot of people just sort of figured, well, it looks like they've hit a snag. Here's Trump flexing his muscles a little, and then they have the meetings coming in Thursday, Friday. And particularly, some of the communications were coming out, and President Trump's Twitter was active, that it looked like those meetings were kind of going well. Secretary Mnuchin said, yeah, we're, we're you know optimistic about some of the progress. But clearly, one of the things that was not getting done in those meetings was uh, a resolution, was some kind of an agreement, any kind of finality. And there was no real specifics provided as to what was improved upon or where the hangups are or why there's progress or why there isn't progress. All we know is the meetings ended and they went forward uh, announcing or activating the uh, increase from 10 to 25 percent tariff on $200 billion of imports, uh, meaning uh, imports here in the U.S., so Chinese exports, U.S. imports. And the president has threatened to even take that one step further to a 25% tariff on all Chinese exports to the U.S., which would represent you know another $300 billion plus, as we do import from them a little over $500 billion of product a year. So last week, the market had dropped on Monday after the kind of hubbub was felt and then made all that money back. And by the end of the session on Monday, it was really barely down at all or might have been up a few points. I mean, it just became kind of a flattish day. We did get a 400-point or so drop Tuesday, and then we were kind of flatter up. Wednesday, down a bit. Thursday, then we went down another 400 Friday. And like I mentioned earlier, with some of the allegedly positive commentary – President Trump's Twitter and and this beautiful letter he said that President G had written him that was the the president's choice of adjective was he wrote him a beautiful letter, and so I don't know. Anyways, the market ended up up about 150 points on Friday, so it had over a 500 point reversal. So when all said and done, um, I believe the market was net net throughout all the kind of up and down movements of the week, down about six seven hundred points on the week. So not a good week at all. But you know we were talking about couple percent total. It was really kind of insignificant in the grand scheme of things, especially after the huge rally we had been enjoying. And uh, now here we are. And as I'm recording, we're, we're about halfway through our trading day on Monday. 
and the market's down a little bit over 600 points. And the Chinese have, as expected, announced their retaliatory tariffs. And I do think a lot of market actors were optimistic or hopeful or naive or all the above that there'd be some deal reached over the weekend. So let me give you a little update as to what the Chinese have announced here this morning. No deal was reached, and they've announced on 2,493 goods that they import from the United States. So this is on U.S. goods that arrive on the Chinese shore. They've announced a 25% tariff on $60 billion worth of imports. So I think that the market not tanking Friday was, again, around that rather intelligently learned lesson that the market's see a lot of it as negotiating, see a lot of it as banter, and just sort of believed that ultimately that something was going to get done one way or the other. And by the way, even with the markets now down about from their peak, you know, over a week ago, about 12, 1,300 points, I still believe that, that the markets right now are, are saying, okay, we don't like this uncertainty, we don't like this volatility, but we still believe a deal is going to get done. Because if we were to go into a kind of permanence of trade war, um, I think the market response will be far worse than this. So President Xi and President Trump have not talked, and there's no plans for them to talk. And President Trump's tweets look to me to be desperate. Well, first of all, most of the things are not true. Okay, like so about a trade war being easy to win. I don't know anyone who would say that that makes a lot of sense. Even if one was really, really, you know, supportive and excited about what the president's trying to do and even the way he's trying to do it, I don't think they would say it's easy to go about winning. You know, this thing's been going on for over a year and we're obviously nowhere near a resolution. The presidents of both countries are very likely going to have to work this out. It's very hard for me to believe that we're going to get some announcement that our U.S. Trade Representative Bob Lighthizer and the Chinese uh, consortium of officials, some, some are senior level, but they're not, you know, President Xi, that they're going to end up resolving what stands in, in front here. I think that this is going to go to the highest of levels. And it's an entirely possible that that's not going to happen until the G20 meeting scheduled for the middle of June. So we could be at least three or four weeks off from any kind of newsworthy update around all this. So let me, let me give you the kind of three outcomes that I think are on the menu as a possibility around the stalemate that they're at now. First and foremost, before I do that, I need to say what's causing the stalemate. There's been a lot of uh, misinformation, and I think people want to know, well, what is it they're not coming to agreement to? The Chinese are, in fact, asking that all tariffs be removed, not just those escalated tariffs that were put on um, when the president began going down this path. And I will say that I don't know if they're going to get that done or not, but that's not something like the market would go, okay, good, that helped get a deal done. That's better than getting a deal done. That would become an outcome above and beyond the outcome that the market was already baked in. So there's a lot of opportunity, not only because if they work that out, it means getting a deal done and everyone wants that, but also because it would be a better deal than had been previously expected and previously discounted by markets. But what China's wanting is for all tariffs to be removed, and the U.S. is saying, no, we need to see compliance first. We need to see that you're behaving to the new rules, 
and China's saying, well, no, take away all tariffs, and then if we mess up, we'll, there'll be enforcement mechanisms, and, and the U.S. doesn't like that. They want to be they want to reward them for compliance later instead of punish them for noncompliance later. They also apparently are concerned that some of the, the purchases the U.S. is expecting China to make from them, largely in agriculture and in energy, and we've talked a lot about the favorable outcome of China buying U.S. exported crude oil, but especially natural gas, liquefied natural gas, becoming a huge customer of the U.S.'s um, newfound capability to produce and, of course, export liquid oil and gas solutions for Chinese energy needs. And the Chinese are saying, we need it to be less front-loaded. We'll agree to the overall purchases, but it has to be more realistic to market demand. Okay, well, that I got to figure they can work through. I can understand why the U.S. would want a more aggressive upfront purchase. But to the extent that some degree of smoothing of that doesn't really take away what the intent of that condition is, and it becomes something more palatable to the Chinese uh, negotiators, I I suspect that can be worked through. And then the third thing is really what I kind of think this whole thing comes down to, and it's that the Chinese are requesting less harsh language. In this ultimately, hundred apparently it's 150, 160-page agreement, and they are repeatedly talked about the dignity of the Chinese that is at stake here and so forth. And that's what I think is the kind of story here uh, for both sides. This is not about specifics. It's about the narrative. The Chinese do not want to look weak. The president does not want to look weak. And the narrative out of the deal is going to matter. And if the U.S. is looking for language uh, that kind of sticks it to the Chinese and and so forth, then that's a hang-up. And yet, if the deal does not sufficiently indicate the kind of problems that have created this mess, the technological infringements and things like that, the the U.S. says that it doesn't go far enough if that language isn't there. So both sides are are fighting for a better narrative, and that kind of trumps the specifics here. Now, the pragmatist in me and realistic economic observer thinks that narratives are easier to work around than specifics. Sometimes, you know, deal points, conditions can become a legitimate hang-up, and you'd like to think that a lot of grown-up economic actors can kind of get through, but... That is not always the case, and, and, and it's entirely possible that the narrative here is more important to some of the people involved than the conditions themselves. Now, how can this thing get worse? And then we're going to get to the, the bottom line, uh, the various solutions that are on the menu I spoke about before. You know, China's retaliation does have a wall that they end up hitting because we obviously— uh, import so much more from them than they do from us that there's a much higher limit that we have available on what tariffs we would charge. Now, of course, those tariffs that we charge are being paid by U.S. companies and passed down to U.S. consumers, and that's not up for debate, and that's not a political statement, and that's not a um, pro-tariff or anti-tariff or pro-Trump or anti-Trump or pro-trade or anti-trade comment. That's a mathematical comment. It's indisputable that U.S. companies pay these taxes. And the point being is that if a tariff represents some kind of a leverage point in all this, that the U.S. can charge a lot more tariffs than the Chinese can because the U.S. buys a lot more from China. 
However, the Chinese also have the ability to devalue their currency, which has a very instant and, and mathematical softening of the impact of the tariffs. It becomes a bit manipulative, and but yet neutralizing force around some of the impact of trade war. Now, of course, there's a limit to that because if they continue to devalue, don't protect the currency, they face capital flight, they face inflation, they face a number of problems that they don't want, but it's a policy tool available to hurt the U.S., They also can restrict the exports of items that the U.S. cannot replace easily. And this is sort of a mutually assured destruction option because what they're saying is we're going to deny ourselves the sales selling product to you, even though it's going to hurt us more than you, you know, because they're they're cutting off revenue. But if uh, they are products that the U.S. cannot replace easily, either from our own domestic manufacturing or from, you know, Vietnam or or other potential uh, competitive countries, and then that can you know force the U.S.'s hand a little bit. They can intensify safety inspections at the border. As products are coming in, they can basically muck around with our ability to get product in that gets sold. They can do that with safety inspections. They can also do that with regulatory tightening. And so just make it harder for the U.S. to be selling product to China, which has a trickle-down economic pain. And then the so-called nuclear option, which I will be very surprised if they end up using, and yet it would be really dishonest to not mention it as why the Chinese do have a significantly more powerful policy tool than any of us seem to want to talk about, is they obviously could start dumping U.S. Treasury bonds. Now, would that hurt the Chinese? Because they are big holders of Treasury bonds. They would eventually be tanking prices of Treasury bonds, pushing rates higher, and hurting their own portfolio of holdings. It would, but it also could break the back of the U.S. if it were to skyrocket interest rates higher. And because the U.S. runs such large deficits, the ability to sell and roll over Treasury debt in the uh, debt markets is a sin qua non of U.S. fiscal policy. And so to the extent that they were to start dumping Treasury bonds, it would have a major economic impact on the U.S., and on China, and around the globe. But again, I see that as a highly unlikely option, but one that negotiators certainly are aware of exist. Okay, so China has more they can do to try to soften the impact to themselves and intensify negative impact to the United States. The U.S. has announced what they want to do. For now, the president is not addressing the way in which the actions he's taking would hurt the U.S., the, you know, the stock market being down 1,300 points in the last week, the farmers that are stuck not having as much uh, customers for their product, the tightening of conditions for U.S. Uh, buyers. It, all these things are significant. They're real. And yet they haven't been that long lived yet because we've been in this kind of perpetual negotiation and freezing things for a while and so forth. But if it were to become more prolonged, most people's response is, well, yeah, it would really hurt the U.S., but it would hurt China more. And I'm perfectly in agreement with that sentence. I just am not sure why that, therefore, is to lead to a conclusion that, therefore, the U.S. could be fine. Saying that your other enemy will get it worse than you get it, even though you're going to get it bad, does not tell you anything about what it would impact to the U.S., I believe it will represent 0.1% 
of GDP growth. So in other words, if we were going to grow 2.8, we would grow 2.7. If we were going to go 3.2, we would grow 3.1. 0.1% for every two months that the tariff level stays on. So over a six-month period, this is going to cost us uh, at least half of a point of economic growth. And that's significant. If, in fact, we go forward with a full $325 billion of more imports that get tariffed on top of the $200 billion at 25% we're now already doing, then I've read multiple studies and impact and reports and done our own modeling, and I really see no scenario at all where it wouldn't cost us about one4 to 1.5% of GDP growth over a year, which, of course, is fully half of what we've been getting. We've been getting about 3% real GDP growth. Now it can take away half of that economic growth. And then, of course, from that point forward, I think it would be inevitable. It would tip us into recession. So is this what's going to happen? Well, obviously, I don't believe the president wants that. And obviously, I don't believe that it would behoove anyone to create that kind of response. And I do believe all the people we're talking about here, President Xi in China, President Trump here, Secretary Mnuchin, uh, even Bob Lighthizer, who's more protectionist than I am, but is the U.S. trade representative, I think he agrees that that's what the ultimate impact could be. So, so people are aware of what the bad response is, but they want to play the strongest hand they can to get the best deal that they can. So option one here is that a short-term resolution does come as these talks and the negotiations continue. China ends up accepting some version of American demands for enforcement mechanism, and the U.S. kind of backs off the recent escalation. The other option, which is increasingly more likely, is that the continued back and forth goes for a couple more months and that eventually the cumulative pain causes one or both sides to break. This is what would, I think, create the most bi-directional volatility. And by bi-directional, I mean volatility like days like today where we're down 600 points and then days where we all of a sudden go up 400, believing a deal's coming. And because there's this uh, hope that everything gets resolved and it has a tremendous uncertainty in, in there because it isn't all bad news. Everyone's desperately afraid to be out if things turn in a positive direction. And then, of course, there is the kind of worst option, which I put as a below 10%, but that would be that President Trump just walks away altogether from negotiations, leaves these high tariffs on, and just says he'll take his chances in 2020, that let him get reelected, and then in a second term he can do kind of whatever he wants. This is an interesting risk. I don't believe the president will pull that card, and I most certainly do not believe he will get reelected if he does. But the president's had a very smart instinct over what will damage him politically and what will not for several years and has confounded many of the critics and pundits along the way. And so perhaps he does believe that the stock market can drop substantially, that we can go into you know, recessionary conditions, but that because he'll play it as him fighting for America and pushing back against a bad deal with Chinese, that there won't be a political backlash it would not be a strategy that very many would recommend for him, and frankly, it will not be a strategy that will work. But I cannot say it's a 0% chance. The problem is I can't say the other ones are even 50% chance either. You know, you have three options here, and, and I might put um, the, the first one at 40 to 50 and another one at 40 to 50 and the last one at 10 to 15% or so. But nothing has a real compelling likelihood, you know, 60 to 70 to 80 percent odds 
And so you are in this position where the, the, how it ends is very difficult because I think that on one hand, people want to protect themselves from the short-term volatility all this represents. And on the other hand, they do not want to miss what could be this announcement of a grand deal, announcement of tariffs coming off altogether. There is this uh, melt-up possibility that, by the way, is not just possible, but I would argue likely, eventually, okay? So trying to position yourself to improve your three-week to three-month outlook and yet maintain your exposure for your one-month, three-month, five-month, whatever the, the, the slightly longer-term play could be, it's very difficult. And so I will argue that what we have done is be positioned how we want to for both outcomes, the short-term enhanced volatility and uncertainty that I'm very much forecasting until this thing finds resolution. And yet the longer-term offensive opportunistic play that, that hopefully becomes a result. When I say we're positioned for both, it's that because we put ourselves in a more defensive, more moderate, more balanced position that did not go to a huge underweight of risk asset and did not go into heavy cash position, but did not go to the full weight of the equity exposure that increased fixed income and certainly increased alternatives and left us in a kind of more neutral equity position so that the impact of the short-term volatility is not as felt. That was, to me, the best play, other than having a crystal ball of exactly when things would rally and when they would sell off and when they will would or will recover. So I think defensive yet not risk-averse positioning, a balanced, moderated allocation is the best way to be positioned. And then waiting, of course, any positions that get outside their own target, some you know positions will soft more than others. We would be looking to buy opportunistically. Along the way, we have to accept that I don't know if we're talking about in three days, which I think has now become very unlikely, or a month when the two respective presidents meet at the G20 summit, which I think has become more likely, or even longer. And if China decides, listen, listen Mr. President, we don't think you're going to get reelected, so we're just going to take our chances because President Xi can say, I don't have to get reelected. I don't have the political gamesmanship you have to play. So, yeah, is it nice to our 300 million uh, people that are going to get hit by this? They have well over a billion, but let's say it's going to really hurt 300 million badly. Are they willing to hurt them for two years on the odds that they'll get a more favorable administration to negotiate with later? Well, I would, I would certainly not rule that out. I would see that as a more possible scenario that China's willing to hurt themselves than I would that the president is willing to go into a re-election with the economy in free fall. So the politics of it matters. So far, the posturing has not hurt the U.S. economy substantially enough. The stock market is obviously higher, not lower, since president's coming to office and his belief is that the data points give him the leverage to kind of play a little more chicken with them. And it is true. Our economy grew 3.2% real GDP on an annualized basis in the first quarter. Yet I will argue that does not give us the margin 
to mess with what could be a quarter point, half point effect to these numbers. And as I mentioned earlier, it could be even more than that in a worst case outcome. So I don't know how much new information you got out of this. Hopefully you at least got some organized thoughts to take with you. But in summary, China, as expected, has escalated the tariff issues that the U.S. themselves escalated in response to a deal not being done. And negotiations continue, but no specificity is there around that. And markets do not like this uncertainty. And we will um, continue to keep our allocation in a balanced manner that factors in both the reality of short-term pain and the um, reality of intermediate resolution, which is what our majority expectation is although we want to be prepared for any outcome, much more accelerated and favorable resolution, as well as the idea that this could extend and be far more negative, which is where the more defensive low beta portfolio that we tend to thrive in would come in handy. Okay, that is the advice and insights that we have for you for this week. Thank you for listening to All Things China Trade War, and please do reach out with any questions. You are more than welcome to share this podcast with anyone you'd like and review it and and pass it around. And then we'll be uh, coming back to you with another Advice and Insights podcast later in the week, recapping the SALT conference that I just attended last week, big uh, hedge fund uh, political symposium, a lot to share from that conference. And, of course, our Dividend Cafe will, as always, podcast, video, and written commentary be out this coming Friday. In the meantime, we'll see what happens with President Trump, President Xi, Twitter, trade, China, and all things markets. Thank you for listening to the Advice and Insights. Thank you for listening to our Advice and Insights podcast with David L. Bonson. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there's no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance, and it's not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team in Hightower shall not be in any way liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information reference herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates.